This is My Rain Gauge is Busted, a podcast produced by Agriculture Victoria. I'm Ethan, and here we talk about all things climate and farming. In this episode, we explore the value of soil moisture monitoring technology, especially when a seasonal forecast has low skill or is not really saying much. Gemma Pearl and I sat down with Agriculture Victoria's soil moisture guru, Dale Boyd, to hear his tips and tricks about soil moisture. Dale has always had a keen interest in irrigation and the strategic application of water, doing so through monitoring the plants and production. I was fortunate enough to get a, an irrigation a line of work that we were looking to implement sort of a whole range of devices, sort of test the market to find out what was out there. And that was to be tested in the irrigated environment, but that was not just crops, that was pasture, summer cropping, loosened production, all those kinds of things. We pretty much implemented about 10 different devices and telemetry units. And to be fair, there was probably a whole mixture of results out there, but there were certainly enough good success stories that really gave me the idea that this sort of technology, predominantly used in irrigation, had some benefits and potential in dry land. But yeah, those success stories with the irrigation was some of that strategic application of water, particularly to loosen on the, the shoulders of the season with the autumn startup, uh, the right time to apply the water coming out of winter, which was hard to get a gauge of where those moisture profiles were. And then at the end of the season, in that late autumn period, when you're still going to get a, a result from applying water and also just being cautious of not having that soil profile too wet moving into winter because loosen wouldn't tolerate the wet conditions. So that was a, a great learning. And just also, I can remember there was a, a wet year, a Lanini year. The farmer was growing some irrigated corn. And I think from memory, he might have saved or reduced the need to apply water to that corn crop by about half from his normal applications. One, because he was watching and observing the plant water use by the corn, but then he was a you know pretty good weather observer. So he was able to work out, okay, this crop is about at that refill point, needs to have water applied to it. But in a La Nina year, the rain forecasts were quite strong. And when they come through, they were depositing rain of up to 50 mil, which effectively did the benefit of what an irrigation application would have done. So it was a great result. So it was a really good learning to be implementing the technology and watching the farmers grow with that. On the back of this success, the Agriculture Victoria Soil Moisture Probe Network was established. Dale was given the challenge of testing the technology in cropping paddocks across the state, which began in 2010. The program has encountered some interesting questions and has continued to grow over time. There was about 10 bits of equipment that we tested and I found one that had proven itself quite good to the point where the farmer had the measurement point put on his farm but then he'd actually expanded the network on his own place to then monitor not just corn but loosen and another crop. So I thought, well, there's the, the proof in the pudding. He's happy with the technology. I'm happy with the way it works. So we went down the track of using that type of capacitance probe and with a, a graphing interface that was pretty much set up for irrigation, but I knew the principles of what I wanted to implement for dry land, knowing we couldn't apply water, but rainfall was going to be such a critical component of part of that measurement alongside with the moisture probe. I knew I wanted to measure deep moisture because that was the unknown. I know my farming background and, and working with my father, we always had a shovel with us. And when we we're inspecting just to try and validate and check what the conditions were, it was really just the shovel depth. So that was measuring or observing the top horizon, maybe going down to 20, 25 centimetres. 
So it was really below that, which was the unknown, and that's what I wanted to test. And by having the probes that were long enough and could measure down into that depth of, of soil was going to be the, the real test for those dry land environments. Yeah, so from those original nine sites being commissioned, the other strategy that I implemented at that time was to have them positioned quite deep into the soil so the farmers could safely sow over the top and cultivate or do whatever they needed to do. But I was so keen on not having the probe disturbed because I knew once it was in place, we'd collect these set of numbers and they should be repeatable, providing the soil isn't disturbed. That's been the game changer. So a subsurface probe, previously they were capped, stuck above the ground. The farmers either had to sow around them or they were, were removed. Uh, we also did farmer focus little meetings within the district around that probe because it was still new data. I was really looking to test to find out what farmers thought of it. Could it be accurate? Could it be beneficial? And we got some great feedback to say, you know, this is really opening up our eyes to what's happening deep below the soil surface. And with that, we then commissioned more sites, being more targeted to probably target some different soil types, some different rainfall zones. We're certainly seeing benefits in those low to medium rainfall zones. And to the point where there was about 16, there were 16 cropping sites which created a really good spread across the state and across a fair range of, of rainfall zones, so low, medium and high. I think on the back of implementing that cropping program, the extension of not just only presenting and providing talks at grower meetings, but also implementing newsletters that I'd look to provide an update of what the probes were indicating, which was then providing some insights into the season. But I was also thinking that the end game is to have more monitoring points implemented privately by the farmers. So that newsletter is looking to be educational. So we had some good runs on the board and then I was approached to then say, well, it works and we're getting good adoption, good understanding with cropping farmers. What about pasture guys? And so that's where we look to then put in a pilot targeting the medium to high rainfall zones and probably pasture types that were perennial. So with the capacity to grow all year round just to see what was happening in terms of their moisture use, but also some good validation points that not only just looking at perennials, but maybe pairing up the sites and looking at some annual growth of, of pastures as well that rely on that autumn break to get them started, watch their root development, winter production into spring, and then maybe we could then find that point where the way the moisture is being used, the outlook, you could say in two weeks, four weeks, production is just about to come to a completion and just to start that forward planning of whether you need to look at stock numbers, supplementary feeding, yeah, all those sort of planning. One of the brilliant and super interesting things about this soil moisture probe network is the years of unbroken data which has significantly increased our understanding of what is happening below the surface. 10 years of generally unbroken data is pretty unique and it's really showing some insights into the seasonal variability that we're, we're dealing with. When I look back, we've had it all. We've had the, the really dry years, 2014, 15, 2018, like really challenging years. At times, you know, water doesn't even meet that 30 centimetre sensor. So it shows that it does need considerable amount of rain to start to have an influence and be registered with the moisture probes. But then we've got 2016 that was so wet and then carried moisture into 2017. And then uh, just what we've experienced, 2020, another favourable year. When we can pick up these moisture changes and the infiltration uh, and occurring so early, it really sets the season up and allows the farmer then to put on and apply the right amount of inputs because it's really showing some high yield potentials, especially when 
it's that second half of winter and we're starting to get the indications from the climate models of, of some outlooks with some more confidence. And then we've just had the average years as well. So every year is different, but in a way, every year, the collection of data, it just adds so much more value to that monitoring point. The data that's been collected to this point has been showing great repeatability in terms of its accuracy. So we've been able to establish, you know, those critical thresholds that we're looking to do again with the cropping scenarios. So when the, the soil's got its capacity of water holding to a full point, so you can set that as an upper limit and then those lower limits that are generally achieved in that late spring, summer period, depending on the on the season, that's the point where the, the plant can't physically extract any more water. So we've got this plan available water and, and then we can just rate that as a percentage and give um, anyone who's of interest the percentage of what the profile is in terms of being full. Investigating soil moisture at depth has included many days in the paddock taking soil cores with interesting results. I can remember, like I know that the coring tubes that I've used to validate the capacitance probe data have played such an important part in the host farmers gaining confidence in the data and getting that visual and physical inspection of their soils and their profiles that change down to depth and just the roots as well. And they're so visible and I know that in the better years when we get a great break and there's moisture down to depth that might be tapping into residual moisture from the year before, the plant growth above the soil surface is pretty extraordinary, but the root extension and the development that's occurring below the soil is also as remarkable. So we've found that there's a theory that with wheat, it will have a root growth of one centimetre a day, potentially more from emergence, and that'll progress, providing there's no restrictions, whether it's constraints, and that could be from dryness or, or hostile soils, but uh, up until flowering. So if that's 100 to 120, 140 days, there's certainly the capacity for the roots to be growing with wheat down to that 1.2, 1.4. So I find that in a way, the crop will still push its roots down, but the wheat crop's sort of smart enough or grows in a way to the environment that it'll have the root system in place, but it won't deplete those moisture resources. It'll actually preserve them and use water from the easiest source point to obtain, which is in that top horizon. But then once it's depleted, the root system's in place to pick up and obtain that deeper water. Our understanding of the importance of conserving summer rainfall has drastically increased since the installation of soil moisture probes. We've learnt a lot about it and learnt that it plays such an important part in the dryland crop production in Victoria and we haven't been able to do this unless we've had those probes in place recording that deep moisture undisturbed and now 10 years of data. We can actually see not only summer rain events but also that carryover of moisture if the crop hasn't utilised everything from the previous spring. Uh, season of variability, you know, it's something we're dealing with and now we know with the control of summer weeds if we get these summer storms, and I mean, as I said, I'm located in Echuca and, and this season in central Victoria, there's been two big rain events, one in January, one in March, three inches the first rain, two inches the second one, and pretty much nothing in between. So that might be what we're dealing with in the future. Long periods of dry, but storms and maybe extreme storms. And when they deposit that amount of rain over a, a shorter period of time, providing you've you got your soils in the right state of health, the infiltration can be great. And when they've got infiltration that's moving down past 30 centimetres and, and into that sensor zone, we actually know, you know how deep it's got. 
and we can find that with summer weed control, moisture below 30 centimetres appears to be pretty stable to be conserved and then be able to be hopefully utilised for that winter crop that's then sown in, in the autumn. We also know that if there's moisture in that horizon, it's, it's a lot easier for it to be linked into with those potential breaking autumn rains or those autumn rains or those early winter rains. And that's the key to crop production is if you've got existing residual moisture, get it linked up as quick as you can. We can observe that with the moisture probes. And then once it's all linked up, providing you can meet all the requirements that the plant has in terms of yeah, sprays, nutrition, insects and, and pest control, the moisture's there for it to, to grow and develop and, and grow on. In terms of that residual carryover moisture, we've also found that grain farmers are very good at growing grain, but they've um, been able to adapt to whether it's fodder markets or just the seasonal variability, but they've actually incorporated fodder into their production systems. And so they can actually look at what their moisture levels are like. If the crop's out of moisture, but it's got an amount of biomass that warrants cutting it for hay, and there's fodder markets that are prepared to pay for a reasonable price for hay, it's so much easier or it's, it's more comfortable for those farmers to flick the switch and say, this is no longer a grain crop. I'm going to cut it and we're going to rake and bale it and put it into hay and salvage something out of the season, potentially make some good money out of it if the price is right. But, yeah, that's just an informed decision that we've been able to make on the back of, of having that understanding of what the moisture status is from the moisture probes. So it's really good because I can think back in the millennium drought, we're doing lots of dry matter cuts and we're trying to get an idea of what the biomass was of the crop. And we're just assuming that down below it was dry, but we only had part of the puzzle. Whereas now we've got a good indicator of what the soil moisture status is. I think we've got a greater understanding of what biomass and how that's got to relate to, to hay production. We can still do the cuts, but we've probably cut enough hay and can look at height and densities that we probably know what the yields could potentially be. So it's really filled in part of that piece of the, the missing puzzle that I certainly wish we had in those um, millennium drought years. Being able to see the data online almost in real time enables you to correlate changes in soil moisture with certain events. I can tell by the probe data how the crop was using water and I can almost tell the farmer to the hour when he's mown across that monitoring point because all of a sudden the plant water usage has dramatically changed or it's just ceased because the leaf area has been taken away. And not that I'm watching it every day, but I might look back and go, oh, a week ago, oh, that's something's dramatically happened there. I know it was a, a fodder crop. You send him a text and, yep, you get the reply. Yep, it's been dropped. It's on the ground, it's curing. So that's been providing some great insights because if it's been dedicated fodder crop, uh, had moisture in the profile, you can actually conserve quite a lot of moisture uh, for the following crop by stopping that plant water use during that October period when the fodder is down, drying and curing in preparation for, for baling because... Yeah, it's a peak water requirement for grain crops during October. Uh, end of flowering, into grain fill, it'll consume water to achieve those key critical growth points. And if you've got nothing there growing, it's all conserved. And it's a critical component that can then be utilised in the next year, the following year. And we've certainly observed the crops following hay uh, to be quite good yielding. And now we, we can put the numbers to it of why that's actually occurring. The effect that crop type has on water use and carryover moisture is something the Soil Moisture Monitoring Network has been able to observe, which helps for next season's planning. With those break crops, following those, the crops have yielded better. 
and now we can attribute that those pulse crops don't have the, the moisture requirements that a cereal or a canola crop uh, would have. So finding that that pulse crop, whether it's lentils, peas, uh, we're learning heaps about them that they're not consuming as much water. At times they're still yielding quite well, but that carryover benefit is certainly paying dividends and well worth in those circumstances incorporating or having that crop rotation that has the break crops in them because they do have that benefit the next year. With a network that has been around for more than a decade, there sure have been some things that people can learn from when implementing their own system. In terms of that initial strategy of putting down a probe and the first sensor at 30 centimetres, measuring down to a metre, still standing up quite well, but you probably don't need to measure and have that first sensor at 30 centimetres, probably at 20 centimetres is fine. The probe lengths come as 40 centimetres, 80 and 1.2 metres. And there's certainly environments that have got better soil types, no soil constraints, and have got the rainfall that allow movement of water in the better seasons down past a metre. And we've also learnt heaps about the way crops grow, the way they develop root systems to extract that deeper moisture. We've found that that's such a critical component to achieving better water use efficiencies when you've got the moisture you can draw from in spring because generally in those medium low rainfall zones, spring rainfall is not meeting the crop water requirements. So it's so important to capture those bits of data and down to a depth. So have my time again or what the new strategy would be, probably measure from 20 centimetres down past a metre and maybe look at that 1.2 metre moisture probe if you're in that right environment with those high yield potentials. People looking to consider putting in a moisture probe, uh, for starters you're looking to identify the ideal reference point on your farm as it's a point source measurement. It's, it's not measuring a, a great amount of soil so it's so important that the soil type that you look to identify has some good coverage across that paddock and hopefully it's got a proportion of that soil that goes across your farm. So you've got that reference point that can be utilised for a number of scenarios on your farm. So a rain gauge is essential to be connected up to that telemetry and that logger. It plays great insights into not only the distribution of rain that can vary across blocks to blocks, but also what infiltration can be attributed to rain. And then while you've got a rain gauge, the logger has got a fair component of the cost to it. You could also certainly consider putting on a full weather station to collect not only rain but uh, weather, temp and humidity. So they're all really important. Uh, there's a number of service providers using their own platforms to display data these days. So you'd want to uh, ensure that you're comfortable with the way the data is being displayed on those platforms, that it's easy to understand, but it's also providing enough detail. So it's a bit of a fine line, a balance there, but you just want to make sure that you can understand the data and have it shareable, that you can certainly link in your agronomist or your advisor. They're always keen to understand the seasonal conditions uh, as much as the farmers because they're providing that advice to support crop production. Backup services is a, a critical component and with installation that's also so important. I've installed some but I generally like to get the service provider to do the install. Like I pick the site but they do the pilot hole, insert the probe, do the slurry uh, and then connect up the cable. Uh, the probe, you know, move it away from the fence line where there could be a weed burden or just trying to make that site as representative as possible and have it at a depth that, that top of the sensor that you can safely sow over the top so you've got a plant population that's uh, consistent with the rest of the paddock. And then just to be aware of what the short and long-term costs are in terms of data transmission, hosting the data and, and how you access it. So there can be some variations in that. Uh, so it's just good to be aware of it. 
And the other thing is that probably just have some way of validating the data. So coring tubes is what I've used. So if you've got some capacity to not only collect data and examine it, but validate it, you've got to fast track your knowledge of, of what it means so much quicker. Given that the Agriculture Victoria Soil Moisture Probe Network is publicly funded, everyone has the opportunity to check out the data collected and the analysis Dale puts on that data. There's certainly a lot more information on the web pages that we've got to display data. ExtensionOz.com.au forward slash soil moisture monitoring all in one word is a great site that we're looking to display simply soil moisture in terms of the speedos. But I've also been able to identify with each sensor what its water holding capacity is. So we can actually break it down to each sensor to what capacity or percentage of moisture it's got. So that's a good page to look up to show what the benefits can display. But also on that page, we've got case studies where we've interviewed some of the host farmers and they've explained how they've used the probes and the benefits they've provided to their businesses and we also provide these interpretations and these newsletter updates on a monthly basis so that's certainly a way of obtaining those newsletter links and certainly would encourage subscription to the newsletter if this is of interest to you and you'd like to find out more we can get that distributed to you on a monthly basis with the updates of the seasonal conditions which just vary year to year uh, season to season and month to month. The website Dale mentioned can be found in the show notes, as well as the link to subscribe to the Cropping and Pasture Soil Moisture Monitoring newsletters. We greatly appreciate Dale's willingness to spend time with us in this episode to explain the importance of soil moisture monitoring technology. You can find helpful links in the show notes and you can get in contact with us at the.break at agriculture.vic.gov.au. See you next time. O-S-O-I-N-S-S-T And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break. Oh, this bloke Dale, he's rich, he did. He knows about the subtropical ridge. The science comes in a secret code. And he knows about the southern annular mode. Well, this SST anomaly lead us to a death cell of 1, 2, 3. The Nino 3 and Nino 3.4. Well, I've never heard of these terms before about SOI and SSTs. And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break. Or keep your eyes out for Enso. Will it rain then? If so, when so? The farmers need you to be specific. What's happening out in the Pacific? Well, westerly wind bursts blow away. All our hopes of that rainy day. And will this year bring an El Nino? Come on, tell us, Dale. Because we have to know about SOIs and SSDs. Thank you for listening to My Rain Gauge is Busted. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. 
contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria.